So we're now going to be doing the season six premiere of this freaking podcast. So long, nothing now can keep us down. Yeah, we're back on track, and we're on attack. Can't hold us back. No, no, we're back. Yes, we're back. Tell them all we back, bitch. The world needs us. <laughs> I think very deeply. You can accept it or be stupid and be a skeptic. Unconceivable, unbelievable. <laughs> Unidentified flying objects. I want to Welcome to the season six premiere of the I Want to Believe podcast. I'm Nomar Slevic. And of course, the homie of all homies is here. Kyle Sawyer, say hi to the people. Great to be back. Looking forward to seeing what uh, we could bring you for the strange and unusual other than the two hosts of the show. Yeah, man, it is good to be back. Okay, before we jump into the first episode of season six, I wanted to give a quick reminder that our podcast release schedule for 2023 will be monthly. Hopefully you will enjoy the change and we'll see how we feel about it as well. As always, all of our I Want to Believe social media and email are in the show notes. You can visit my online store for access to my books and other projects such as Granite Skies, Otherworldly Encounters, We Only Come Out at Night, and more. You can visit slevicstore.company.site or the Greenhand Bookshop online or their location in Portland, Maine. Just check the show notes for links. Lastly, my documentary, Otherworldly Amore, is streaming exclusively on Paraflix Paranormal Plus. This is a subscription service, much like Netflix, and offers monthly or yearly subscriptions. Once subscribed, you have access to not only Otherworldly Amore, but hundreds of other paranormal shows, documentaries, and even horror movies. By using the code OTHERWORLDLYAMORE10 at checkout, you can get 10% off your first three months. That's Otherworldly Amore, A-M-O-R, 10, 1, 0. Link is in the show notes. All right, let's get into the fanged humanoids of Kofu. One of, if not the most famous UFO incidents in Japanese history took place during the Showa era in 1975. The case was thoroughly investigated and is still brought up today as perhaps the most authentic sighting Japan has had to date. But what really happened that day and did aliens really visit Kofu City in the 1970s? On the evening of February 23, 1975, two seven-year-old boys, Masato Kawano and Katsuhiro Yamahata, were roller skating near the Hinode Housing Estate in Kamamachi Kofu, Yamanashi, Japan. At around 7pm, they heard a crackling sound 
that seemed to be coming from somewhere above them. As they looked to the sky, they were startled to see two orange balls of light flying about. They were fascinated by the aerial acrobatics and continued to watch when all of a sudden, one flew off while the other started to descend. It approached the housing estate as it descended further and the boys thought it might land. It soon went out of sight behind the housing area and they thought it may have landed in a nearby vineyard. They whipped off their roller skates and put on their shoes as fast as possible so they could run over and see what happened to the orange light. While hovering in place, it slowly descended towards them and focused what has been described as a black tube in their direction. The tube suddenly started making sounds, which have been interpreted to be something like a camera shutter, as the end of it was pointed directly towards the two boys, who now stood motionless at the sight. After standing in place for only a few seconds, the boys thought that the tube could be a weapon and began to panic. But something extraordinary was happening in the field. What they saw next was something that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. As they ran around the corner, they stopped in their tracks by the sight of a landed silver-domed UFO. It appeared to be resting on three ball-like landing legs, and they estimated that the UFO stood about 7 feet high and was about 15 feet in diameter. Their eyes darted all over the craft, studying every inch of it, and they noticed that it had strange markings on its metallic-like surface. After a moment, a hatch on the bottom part of the craft opened and a ladder lowered to the ground. The boys were scared, but they couldn't stop watching. A shadow then emerged from the opening and they watched as it began to step down the ladder. When it reached the ground, it stood beside the craft and stared down at the dirt and grass around it. They described the entity as, quote, long-armed, almost four feet tall, and was clad in a glowing or reflective silver uniform, end quote. The boy said it had long pointy ears and described the color of its skin as black or dark brown. They also noticed that its skin was so severely wrinkled that it was impossible to see any features of its face. In fact, the only noticeable feature they could make out were, quote, three two-inch long metal fangs, end quote. They also saw that its hands had only four fingers and that the toes of its boots were forked. After a moment, the unusual being began to explore its surroundings and seemed oblivious to the young boys nearby. It looked to be studying the ground and grass while holding what appeared to be some sort of rifle or another type of long weapon. The boys then noticed a second being still inside the craft. It looked like the other and appeared to be sitting at some sort of control board. 
Without warning, the creature outside of the UFO turned abruptly, approached Yamahata, and placed its hand on his shoulder. The boy said it patted him twice and then began to emit an unusual noise that sounded like, quote, a tape recorder running backwards, end quote. <laughs> As this happened, Yamahata fell to the ground. In a later interview, he said he couldn't move and felt paralyzed. His friend, Kawano, was quite frightened by seeing his friend incapacitated and felt an innate need to protect him. He proceeded to pull his friend onto his shoulders and left as quickly as he could. In getting his friend away from the beans, Yamahata came to and was able to move on his own again. The boys then ran home and told their mothers what happened. Sharing a concerned yet doubtful look, the mothers agreed to go with their sons back to the site of the encounter. As they approached the housing estate, the mothers were shocked to see a quote, orange light pulsating in the vineyard, end quote. The four of them watched the light for a moment when the boys implored their mothers to approach the craft and investigate further. The women were reluctant and before they could discuss it further, the object glowed brightly, causing them to look away from the craft. When they looked back, it was gone. The craft didn't fly away exactly, but instead blinked while shrinking in size. It got smaller and smaller, and with a final bright light, ascended slightly as it disappeared, never to be seen again. Now in complete darkness under the evening sky, the families walked home from the grape field. The parents, seeing that their children were traumatized by the experience, tried to console them. The mothers tried to explain that what they saw was probably a hitodama, or spirit of a human being that glows like fire at night. But both children had a difficult evening that day. Kono cried all night and was unable to sleep, and Yamahata couldn't leave the home by himself the next day to go to school and had to walk with his mother. This, however, was not the end of the story. The following day, while at school, the boys were not shy in sharing their encounter. Students and teachers were captivated by the story, perhaps believing them due to their mothers witnessing the lights as well. A classmate spoke up and advised that they too had seen the orange lights in the sky about a half an hour before the boys' sighting. A janitor also advised that he had seen lights around the same time. The boys drew pictures of the entities and the UFO and showed friends and teachers where it had occurred. There are links to those drawings in our show notes. The school's headmaster was so intrigued by the story that he gathered teachers to investigate the landing site. While there, they would discover two concrete posts inside the landing site that had been pushed over. Each post was quite solid and far too heavy, so the team concluded that the two boys could not have moved them or knocked them over. Furthermore, there was a white substance, holes and markings on the ground discovered where the craft had reportedly landed. A high school teacher took a Geiger counter and measured the area within the landing site and found that it contained unusually high levels of radiation. It appeared that something had indeed been in the field after all. But perhaps the most damning piece of evidence that something truly happened that day 
is the result of a series of tests carried out on the soil directly where the UFO supposedly landed. A few days after the incident, Professor Maeda from the Yamanashi Prefectural Industrial High School came to the site and took soil samples. After testing them, he discovered that there was a high amount of radiation, far more than what appears naturally in the world. A few other experts in the area corroborated the professor's findings and theorized that the radiation must have come from a foreign object coming into contact with the soil, whether that was a UFO, a meteorite, or piece of radioactive material from a nuclear bomb test. Why am I interrupting my own podcast, you might ask? My online store is now fully restocked. Granite Skies, Check. A Strange Trilogy, Check. Otherworldly Encounters, Check. and so much more at slevicstore.company.site. Check the show notes for links. Some titles are also available at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine or greenhandbookshop.com. After their investigation, the boys were separated and questioned. The details of the event did not change. Soon after, a local UFO investigator was called in. Masaru Mori arrived a day later and questioned the boys separately, together, multiple times, and again. Not once did their story change. Also, while on site, Mori discovered strange forked boot prints on the ground. The boys were also interviewed by the newspaper, and their encounter was reported to thousands in the area. So now there was not only testimony from the elementary school boys and their parents, but also physical evidence at the scene. But the eyewitness reports didn't stop there. After journalists and police conducted interviews in the area, they discovered that more people had seen something strange that day. About 500 meters away from Kono's house, the manager of Corfu's environmental center saw a yellow flickering light in the sky. His dog had been barking unusually when he went over to see what all the fuss was about, only to notice a yellow light whiz across the sky and leave a trail behind it. The light then disappeared behind some buildings. It was too quick to be a plane, so the man thought it was a shooting star. The 59-year-old high priest of Jokoji Temple also saw a bright light zigzagging across the sky at high speeds, before shrinking and disappearing into the night, while a young girl saw a strange light in the sky from the balcony of her apartment, very close to where the boys saw the light. But the most interesting sighting was revealed to the public seven years after the incident in 1982, when a late night news show called 11pm received a letter from an insurance saleswoman called Midori. She had originally kept silent about her sighting over fear of being ridiculed, but after many people said she should come forward, she decided to contact the news program. This is what she had to say. Bang, bang. It sounded like fireworks. And then I continued on a little more. And there in the crossroads stood two boys. 
They look to be junior high school boys at about 130 or 40 centimeters tall. Their faces were completely black when looking from far away. Thinking it strange, I beeped my car horn, but they didn't move. I approached them and beeped again, but they still didn't move. I thought it was strange, but I was in a rush to collect the money, so I continued on. I'd be in trouble if I didn't collect it all. Anyway, when I came up beside them, I saw that they were very dark. And then one put their hand on my windscreen. I could see its palm. It was completely black. And it had wrinkles going across it, all down the palm. It didn't have the usual lines we humans have. I saw its wrist too. It was like a turtleneck. It was also black and wrinkled. And I saw its face. I could see it through the windscreen only a few centimeters away. The bottom of its eyes were completely straight, and its eyelids were very wrinkly. It had eyes and a nose. I was shocked. I only looked at it for around five or six seconds. Therefore, I only saw its hand and face. I was too surprised to see anything else. From Midori's description of the beings, we can find both similarities and differences between the boys' descriptions. First, both parties described the beings as having deep wrinkles on their faces and hands, dark skin, were of short stature, and having touched the person that came into contact with them. However, Midori describes the beings as having eyes and a nose, hair, five fingers, and regular or no ears. Of course, she and the boys only saw the beings for a very short amount of time in the dark, so it is understandable that there are going to be a few differences. Plus, it had been seven years since Midori saw the beings. Regardless of what is true or not, it seems that something strange was going on. The media contacted the Civil Aviation Bureau of Transportation Ministry to inquire about the craft and entities and what they could have been. Their response, which did not inspire confidence in the boys, their mothers, and many in the community, advised that what the boys had most likely seen was, quote, the lights of the YS-2 propeller plane, which often flew at an altitude of 1,000 meters and was visible to the naked eye, end quote. The ministry did not provide a comment or explanation for the entities. Could all these people have seen the planets or these planes on the clear evening sky and thought they were UFOs? What we do know is, as previously mentioned, there was a higher than normal radiation reading in the area and physical damage in the field. Furthermore, many of the witnesses were respectable people. One was a government official, another was a high priest, and the other a successful businesswoman. In Japan, lying about such an event would bring about a lot of ridicule, so it doesn't make sense that they would simply lie. And if they did lie, what benefit would they get from it? Skeptics have certainly shared their reactions to the boy's story, some citing the ministry's explanation as the truth of the incident. Researcher Bintaru Yamaguchi, in response to this case, reported on the resemblance of the entity recited by the boys with a famous television personality in Japan from 1967 called Alien Hook. 
まもなく地球は私たちのものにそはさせんぞ A link to this image will be shown in the show notes. The character appears to be a pointy-eared alien with heavily wrinkled skin. Though no fangs can be seen, Yamaguchi also advised that some monster toys in Japan at the time were depicted with elongated fangs. This was a very popular show during the 1960s and 70s, and both of these characters appeared in it. They look very similar to the drawings the boys created during their questioning. They have pointed ears, fangs, wrinkles, and shiny clothing. Could the boys have seen something else? And again, let their imaginations run wild. The Distortion Theory blog noted, quote, It is also interesting to note that in the Outer Limits series, in an episode broadcast in 1964 entitled Keeper of the Purple Twilight, was starring aliens very similar to the Japanese visitor without eyes. End quote. A link to that image will also be in the show notes. It could also be possible that the two boys saw farm workers spreading pesticides or fertilizer. Japanese farm workers often wear shiny protective clothing, cover their faces, and use a spray that, when slung over the shoulder, could look like some kind of weapon in the dark. These workers also wear jikatabi shoes, which split at the toe like the drawings. I guess he could have been wearing a mask when he saw the boys, and then taken it off when walking down the street when he encountered Midori in her car, which is why she saw his eyes and nose. Maybe the farmer didn't come forward because he was worried about all the press coverage and UFO enthusiasts that had shown up in the area, so kept it to himself. As for the craft, maybe it was a small truck or trailer that contained the fertilizer that the farmer was using. And maybe it had an orange light on the top. In 1982, and again in 2001, both boys were questioned and subsequently hypnotized and asked about their experience. At 14 years old, and again at 34 years old, their stories had not changed. In a 2020 interview, both men, now over 50 years old, still maintain their story. What do you believe? And that's all we've got for this first episode of season six of the I Want to Believe podcast. We hope you'll join us again next month for an all new episode. We'll be covering a few stories about glitches in the Matrix. Feel free to throw us a follow on our Insta at 207 Believe or DM us some show topic ideas. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Nomar Slavic. We definitely appreciate you joining us. Thank you yet again. I'm Kyle Sawyer.
that deck's playing I make acquaintances in the daytime saying Put away monetary on the subject Face the facts and not the fact is judgment I, I've been the sin, the original You're about to witness the strength of the cynical vision Unusual day of the spiritual Cursed ritual, opposite of the miracle Think down on your